This is my kind of like office. They call it the man cave. It's it a, looks like a cave. There's no windows here. And it's just yeah. full of like post-it notes of my scattered thoughts, uh, random game pieces, uh, and then baby toys just everywhere. <laughs> this is Foreign Ore, a look into the lives of expats, migrants, and their culture kids of all kinds. Each episode, I chat with one foreigner and cross-examine that individual to determine if they're really all that different. Today, I sit down with Tavy Baby, a Taiwanese-American turned Beijinger. From teacher to musician to boss, a chaotic move back to the U.S. has this pandemic repat reinventing himself once again. My name is Tavy Lin. I'm a former bar restaurant tour in Beijing, China, and now proud papa. And I have repatriated to America after spending 15 years in China. A lot of people tell you, like, you become a parent and your life is over, and they're sleep deprived, and you're miserable. But like, I I think about it every day. I wake up and really tired, and I'm still like really happy to be a parent. You know, <laughs> like, hey, being a dad is great. I'm not mad at all about this situation. This is way better than not being a dad. I don't know. So. Also, it feels it feels like meaningful to be sleep deprived because it's yeah. like, all right, well, at least it was for something worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's like the meaningful struggle versus uh, waking up hungover and sleep deprived is kind of meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, like that moment where you kind of like everything comes into focus above you, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> "What did I do?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What happened? The crippling anxiety of like waking up. I have up. so many. <laughs> I have so many apologies to make. Yeah. Um, I'm actually thinking of one time in particular where I woke up at y'all's place in the hutongs and my ankle was ballooned up like, like insanely. And I was like, "What happened? I can't even stand up right now. I need crutches. I'm on their couch again." Which, and the, and yeah, that happened like right in front of, like right as you were walking to our place, like yeah. you were. Steps from our door, and that's what happened. Like you yeah. almost made it. Yeah. What But I remember yeah. about that night was climbing cars in the hutongs, which was my favorite pastime at that phase of my life. Like going down the hutongs and climbing over people's cars that were parked on the side of the road, and everything was fine. Jumping off a of car is fine. Walking to your house in the middle of the <laughs> night, like almost snapped my ankle. That was so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we had to find you crutches. Yeah, yeah, you went on and got me crutches the next day, and then helped me What get a... to a cab. I took a cab from your place for the one minute it took me to get to Four Corners. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then we had this lady working as a dishwasher there, but her husband was like a TCM sports doctor, and so she picked up a thing or two from this guy, and she like asked for some baijiu, and then like gave me this crazy TCM fire massage on my ankle. That was the worst sprain of my life. And then I was walking and not feeling any pain by the end of the day. She covered my foot in flammable alcohol, basically set my foot on fire like two or three times, lit like a pool of baijiu in her hand on fire, so it's like the blue flames licking up, and almost like kind of hadokened like fireball shot like flames at my foot, like through fire at my foot. So it felt like the heat was passing through the snapped part of my ankle or the injured part of my ankle, and then gave me the most. Insane, painful foot massage of my life, where she's like wrenching my ankle back and forth. Uh, and she, I drank some, and I had to drink some lemon water after that. And then an hour later, I was walking, like limping. And then by the end of the day, I was fine. And there was this weird bruise, like a weird purple bruise, like like around the area, like coming up like near my toes for some reason. It was it was really weird, but it worked. 
like completely. That's, that's insane. Yeah, that's so insane. Really, that wasn't really going to happen with us. Yeah. No. <laughs> we just needed you out. Yeah. We, it's like, get out of our house. <laughs> Take the crutches. Get the fuck out. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, good times. So I know yeah. a lot about you from a certain period of your life, but uh, there's a ton that I don't know about you from back in the day. And then, uh, and now, because we haven't really talked. So, mm-hmm. um, Where's your family from? Uh, my family is from China, uh, from Taiwan. Sorry, ooh, almost <laughs> like I don't know uh, where everybody falls on that whole situation. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> but, that's not that's not the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. Well, but dating back like to my familial line, like my mom's family comes from Sichuan uh, specifically, and my dad's family is Fukinese, so we're from Fujian. So my Laojia is uh, in Xiamen, and I still have a lot of relatives there, like cousins and aunts and stuff like that uh, out in Xiamen. So did you mm-hmm. and your sister at least grow up in Texas? Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we all were born and raised, uh, me and my two sisters, I have a younger sister as well, all born and raised in Texas. Uh, my parents moved to the States, like, I guess, in the 70s. Uh, my dad went to college uh, and then eventually got his master's degree is a doctor of geophysics now you know so uh and he moved to texas and then that's where they settled down and started a family yeah and so so you grew up with two girls yeah <laughs> right in the middle of two girls yep i won't go into whether or not your parents like were fit the bill of some traditional chinese families where they're like please please we need a boy let us cherish the male <laughs> no my little sister was the favorite you know she okay. was the one that was doted on i was i was the middle child and just mostly kind of ignored i think <laughs> or okay, left to my great. own devices i'll say you know like left to my own devices and uh like they didn't really fit the bill of a lot of traditional asian upbringing like a lot of things they did fit the bill of for example when we were bad my mom would like hit the backs of my hands with chopsticks as corporal punishment you know or if i was really bad she would get out the feather duster which is another trope in asian households and she would like spank my thighs or something like that you know uh which like when i found out like like a lot of people remember have memories of the feather duster i was like oh wow okay that's not just what a ridiculous what a weird thing you know it's like a feather duster like we don't even have those anymore i don't know um so they didn't really push me to be like they weren't like you must be a doctor an engineer or a lawyer like they they were just kind of like yeah he'll do what he wants you know he'll figure it out i'm i'm glad because you definitely (laughs) did that so you and you three grew up speaking Speaking, one language at home uh well we grew up speaking chinese uh and like specifically Mandarin, like my mom and my dad both can speak other dialects, but they use those primarily to communicate secretly with each other so that we wouldn't understand what they were talking about. And then they would speak their Putonghua with us. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, but- You commoners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Common speak, the plebs. <laughs> They're our children, stop calling them plebs. <laughs> awesome, so you, Oh my God. And where in Texas? Uh, we were, I was born in Dallas. That's where we kind of started our first home there. Uh, then uh, we moved to Houston and that's where we kind of grew up, went to high school, all that stuff. My little sister, actually my parents moved to Beijing. That's why I ended up there. But my little sister kind of got dragged out of high school after one year and then transplanted into ISB to go to school in high school in Beijing, 
which was like kind of traumatic for her in some ways. And like they had a lot of a lot of fights about it. You know, it's like she's a high school kid, you know, <laughs> like just suddenly ripped away from her friends, thrown into Beijing. She didn't choose it. Not like me. Like I went there because I was like, I'm this weird guy in America. I got to do something. Oh, over here, people like everybody's weird here. It's kind of cool. I like it. <laughs> um, so the three of you were let's say Dallas, Houston, and mm -hmm. you were going to American schools, public mm -hmm. schools? Yep, all public school, all the way. Now, was it a big public school, like the kind you see on, oh, on yeah. Yeah. TV? Yeah, yeah. I, I think our school was like 2,000 plus students. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, it was huge. You know, like a big uh, building with hardly any windows, hallways everywhere, the lockers, the whole thing. You know, like American schools apparently are designed by the same people that design prisons. So, you know, it's just a jail, a jail for kids so that our, their parents can can go work uh, in, in factories or whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have heard that. Well, I mean, I went to very small schools throughout. I went to a very small Catholic school, very yeah. small college prep. Okay. And then I went to a small college, like wow. 2000 kids. I mean, it was wow. just college. There's wow. no... So I went to UT, which is like the hugest college <laughs> and like, but also now I live in, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, which is like also the hugest college. It's like, like U of M and UT are basically the same school, but with different, uh, different colors, I think. You know? And weather. <laughs> and different weather. Yeah. The summers are very, well, summers here are milder than Texas. So I guess just crank everything up 20 degrees and it's Texas. Yeah. I was but like, in high school what were you what were you what who were you yeah if we were to label yourself like i said i went to such a small high school that i don't i didn't really have to like be a thing mm -hmm. right? uh, i didn't really join any sort of group when i was in high school so i guess you could say i was a foreigner in high school mm. even then yeah just an outsider you know like i kind of got used to it i liked it uh i just had the same group of like four or five friends that i made in middle school like I walked by these dudes, they were talking about like elves and orcs and shit, you know? And like, I was like, yeah, I know orcs, like or dwarves, dwarves use, use hammers, right? And he's like, no, like, no, it's battle axes. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure they use giant hammers. And like, we had this whole conversation, that was specifically the conversation we had. And these are like, some of my like closest friends to this day, you know, these guys are my buds. Uh, but we kind of got into dorky stuff. We started playing Dungeons and Dragons. I started making up games that we would play together, like little dorky fantasy games and stuff and sci-fi games. Uh, and then those were my best friends through, through college. Like we all even went to UT together. Uh, so that was my clique. I, I just made these guys that like this, this band of, you know, bros. And like, we didn't really adhere to any sort of uh, like uh, other social group. You know, there was like, the 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 jacks the nerds the the prep kids you know all that stuff and we didn't really play that game yeah. you know <laughs> yeah well i mean you're still into nerdy things yeah I, i've evolved a little bit though and also i went into i went into it i went out of it and i approached it with different ways i guess and like i guess like i used to think it's just a dumb hobby you know and then the hobby itself changed you know like uh like i I'll, not to get into games too much but i think like dnd started as like a simulation of warfare and then it became a simulation of storytelling where everybody like gets a gets a character that they control instead of an army and then like like recently or, or then they tried to make it a simulation of life where like you try to immerse yourself in an environment 
and like that the story is controlled by one person and i think the recent iteration of it is that it's a it's a performative art so like you have all these people like playing dungeons and dragons on on live streams and stuff like that like getting into character dressing in their characters and stuff like that uh, you have people with like writing experience, like creating the 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 world that they're in and the storylines and stuff like that. So I think it's quite kind of evolving, like the as a into a storytelling game, I guess. So, like you know, like uh, the hobbies changed and my approach to games. Like I also like left like gaming for the most part. Like my my identity was kind of wrapped up in game making, and then uh, I kind of left it behind for like a decade. I think, you know, and then I tried to become a musician, you know. I I was going to ask, were you doing any kind of music in high school or college? Were you playing uh, instruments? Yeah, in high school, I was uh, in orchestra. Actually, yeah. I, I played I played cello uh, from middle school, uh, middle school through high school. And um, also while I was in high school, like early high school, I was still playing piano. I was taking piano lessons, uh, but I asked my parents if I could either stop playing piano or learn how to play like jazz or blues on piano. And they did a little fishing around, but I didn't, there weren't any like uh, teachers that knew that style uh, that they could find at the time. These days, you know, the internet, you know, you just go on, you could probably find somebody or you could take lessons over the internet. Uh, but back then, you know, it was still kind of a new thing. Uh, so it was, you know, I, I, we weren't able to find anybody. So I was like, then I quit. And they're like, we're sorry to hear that. But, you know, and, uh, you know, they're like, maybe you'll regret that one day. And like, I totally regret it. You know, like my <laughs> piano skills have tapered off into nothing. Uh, this past weekend, uh, two other expats, foreigners, uh, Dan and Nancy from uh, Beijing, uh, they got married in Detroit and I was at their wedding. And I got the pleasure of playing piano because, you know, like it was it was like it was a great wedding, beautiful wedding. But for some reason, like people just weren't feeling the music. They weren't into it. And like, you know, and there was like a lot of families there and people were like going home. They had kids to take care of and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, no, like the vibe is is dropping. And like I was like, like and then I was like, oh, Nancy, like, oh, nobody's playing music. And she's like, you want to play piano? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll play piano. So I got up there and then like the people that remained like all gathered around. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what am I gonna do it's so, like I'm trying like during the pandemic I practiced a lot I really did I even learned like the intro to the roses from outcast yes I love that yeah I learned that whole thing uh but like so I was like I just struggled my way through that and played a little bit and then we uh we played like an old jazz tune uh, not to do another story within a story, but uh, one time in Beijing, Nancy, who's a jazz singer, she was playing at this at this spot. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but she invited me on stage. She just saw me there and she was like, come on stage. And I played a song called St. James Infirmary. And I like just played the basic chords and piano. And then like the band and her like just ad libbed on top of it. It was this beautiful thing. And like the crowd was like really digging it. And then this time she like sang over what I was doing and medleyed it's a new dawn it's a new day uh, cool. over it because like it matches the the melody perfectly so it created this weird like kind of mashup of the two songs and because like it's her uh it's her wedding you know so like she's just yeah. got married it's a new dawn it's a new day it was like it was like mm -hmm. it was a great moment 
but yeah, like after we finished playing and like doing a little karaoke stint and singing some songs acapella and the crowd was really into it, then like mm -hmm. the dance floor blew up right after that. And like we danced until like the, the, the little convention place kicked us out and it was great, you know, so. You like, saved the wedding. I'll say that I did, but it was more like, a, like it was a group effort, but you know, it started with a little seed. Absolutely. It absolutely. just starts with a little seed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, UT is in Austin, Texas is in Austin. So you went Dallas, Houston, Austin. Yeah. yeah so what did you do for four years? Right. You did a whole undergrad. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was undeclared for basically three years, <laughs> like, or maybe even right up until I was supposed to graduate. Uh, but I think it during, at, on my uh, junior year, I think I kind of knew that I was doing anthropology. So like the construction of ideas, uh, how people interpret reality and turn that into a model, uh, like, and like that they pass down to other people through language. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I was interested in. Also way not Chinese parent approved. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. I think I mean, they already knew it was a lost cause to like get me into like a, a high power career. <laughs> they were like, all right, I mean, this guy, uh, this guy doesn't seem to want to do that. So, you know, like, what are we going to, what are we going to do with him? You know, like he's like, also tuition was pretty cheap back then. So I guess they couldn't be that mad, you know, <laughs> what was it? It was like a thousand to 2000 bucks a semester, like back then to go to wow. like, in state at UT. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you play music in school? Uh, when in, I was in, in college, uh, that's when I started uh, teaching myself guitar. Because I was like, hey, I'm in college now. Where are the girls at? Chicks, you know? yeah, I was exactly. just going to say that. <laughs> Chicks like guitar. Yeah. Way, more, way more travel friendly. Yeah. Were you yep. singing back then? Yeah, yeah, that's that was my main thing. I think was like I really enjoyed singing, and I've actually enjoyed singing for a long time. I would sing on the radio in the car. That's why I'd started an oldies band. Like my goal was to like just play like golden oldies and Motown hits and stuff like that. Those feel good kind of tunes from the '60s and '70s, uh, you know, because like we would listen to the oldies station all the time in my parents' car when we were driving around, and I would just sing along to everything. But I also I have a very specific memory of a time it was my birthday and like my buds and I were like getting like going out to uh, uh, to dinner in Chinatown like my parents were driving us all out there because we we're having like kind of a family dinner going to a hot pot restaurant or something like that and like we're listening to the radio and like without really thinking about it I was singing along to this song. But like later on, I realized like they were all like kind of looking at each other like this is weird. It was a Spice Girls song, so I sang like every like every word <laughs> of this Spice Girls song. You know, flash forward to like uh, like January of 2020 when I performed like uh, like with a wig on with uh, the the Mala girls in Beijing uh, for charity. You know, and like we did Spice Girls songs, we did Destiny's Child songs. Uh, you know, that was that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Hey, I'll go through kicks where I'm like, all right, YouTube, show me what you got. Show me what you got. And then, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I just spend hours and hours like listening to things that I was obsessed with when I yeah. was, you know, 10 through 15. And like your brain, the way that it, it retains those lyrics, mm -hmm. like 
you know, the feeling that you had when you like realized yeah. something or when the hook came in yeah. or when that beat dropped, like in the middle and, and then it was like all acapone. It's like, oh, I remember every word. Yeah. Like, no, songs you remember from your teens are like full body memories. You know, it's oh, yeah. like, it's like, yes. like the whole limbic system is like behind that song. Also, I'd say that as much as I try and rally against being fed things, it's nice when you enter, you know, Destiny's Child early 2000s. And it's uh -huh. like, oh, if you like this, you might like all this other shit yeah, that exactly. you love. Yeah, exactly. you. Are, you're you're never leaving YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> now can I get a goo goo goo? Now can I get a ga ga ga? Now can I get a wah 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 wah? Now can I get a? Come on, dance a little, baby, dance. So how long were you in China all together? Let's see, I got to China in 2005. And then mm -hmm. I left in uh, 20, uh, January of 2020. So it's almost 15 years, maybe 14 and a half years uh, as, a, as a China resident, I guess. Yeah. Question, did you ever visit China or Taiwan? when you were a child or before you went? Uh, when I was a little baby, my parents took me to Taiwan. And then I think I returned again, like sometime in my teens. I can't really say exactly when that was. And then only again to Taiwan just recently, like in 2019. Uh, China, I started visiting every summer almost in college because my parents moved out there. Uh, basically after I graduated a year later, my parents moved to China. So I was like going out there to visit them. And also in high school, we took a tour, like one of those like kind of like tour bus tours where they shuffle you into a bus and you get out and they take you to a market where you buy pearls or some shit. And then they put you back in a bus, you drive 12 hours to another city, take some pictures, they usher you into another market where they make you buy stuff again. <laughs> so that, that was like my earliest experience with China. But yeah, I've been there a lot and my sister kind of knew uh, her way around Beijing by the time I got there. Uh, but she like, she had never been there before, but she's the one that took me to Lush Bar for their open mic. Yeah. And like that was my like Lush Bar was my life for like 10 years. You know, it was like every Sunday open mic at Lush, like clockwork. That was like church to me. Like I never missed an open mic because like that was my time to shine. You know, like uh, that's that's who I am. Like I like like performing for people. I like practicing my craft, you know, and so like just every week three like you know three songs a week just going like spending hours there just like meeting people hanging out trying to impress everybody yeah so so your sister i'm sorry what was the school uh isb so she was in udako uh uh she had never been to udako before actually she went there for the first time because she read about lush bar open mic when I was coming to town, because she's like, Tavi likes playing music. What do I, what can I, where can I take him? So she read about it in the, the, what is that? That's Beijing magazine. And then we, we took a little trip down there and like, I brought my guitar. I didn't know if they'd have instruments there. So I had this guitar there, you know, and like, uh, like we got lost in watching Jiren, like behind, <laughs> in behind Lush Bar. And we're like knocking on random doors and stuff like that. Like, where's the bar, you know? Uh, <laughs> So, so, so she, like, you came with your parents for the summer 
and took the bus to Lush, uh, the metro. Uh, no, we, we rode those like $1.20 cabs. Like my parents lived in a compound, like a Shangjiang uh, Huayuan, like way outside, like like to the northeast of Beijing. It's like one of the places where you have like a three-story house and a yard and yeah. security out front and everybody has a maid and a driver. Like my dad was there with like the corporate gig. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like we, we just hopped in a cab back then, you know, you you could go like from one side of Beijing to the other side for like, uh, you know, 30 quai or 40 quai or something back then. <laughs> well, I mean, and your neighbors... parents were good with it. They're, you were like, we're going to a neighborhood, which I, I don't think it's seedy. I think it's very safe actually, but it's yeah. definitely where young people get up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to go with your little sister yeah. and yeah, she's fresh out of high school. And then come back and then it'll everything will be fine. Were your parents good with that? Like is that what you were doing? I mean, you were out of college, so yeah. I'm assuming both uh, of you were adults by then? Like yeah, no, yeah. she was she in... was just she was fresh out of high school and I was fresh out okay. of college. Yeah. So I mean they couldn't really say anything. Plus, like she like went to high school in Beijing for three years where no one can really stop you from doing anything because there's no drinking age. Like all the kids are like like on the weekends, going out to Vix and Mix and partying all night and like, you know, sneaking out of the house, getting up to no good. Like it's it's like the high school scene there at the time, you know, anyways, was like notorious for like, you know, kids just going out, like, you know, getting trashed and like partying on the weekends and like running into their teachers drunk, you know, <laughs> like that was just what would happen. You know. So at that point you were going every summer and then and then you moved. Was your sister there in 2005 when you moved there? Yeah, briefly, very briefly. Uh, and then, but then she she ended up going to school. Uh, she went to U of H, uh, University of Houston. Uh, and then I went to, I enrolled in Beijing University to study Chinese language for one year, uh, which did not go well. Like I basically stopped going to classes. I just start, I met some people like, you know, from all over the world, you know, like at first I was hanging out with these, these Americans and this German girl and like this, this, uh, Canadian guy. And like, that was my crew. And we we're all like, you know, like going to bars and, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I met these Dutch people and then like, they were, they kind of brought me in as part of their group. And like, you know, it's just, yeah, I met, I met a lot of, a lot of people at that time. And like, I met the first people that were like the Beijing crew also, like, cause I started going to Lush Bar more and more often. Uh, and these, they were all like people that were staying in Beijing, even after I finished quote unquote, finished going to Beijing University for my studies, like they were still going to be there the next year. They were getting jobs as English teachers. They were like uh, doing various other projects or like in like graduate programs or something like that. And I was like, man, I'm going to like, that was a great crew. And it's all focused around this one spot, like this bar that everybody goes to. And it's got cool events that we can all do. And we can show people who we are when we're there. And like, everybody's really welcoming. I, I want to come back, you know, like, I want to come back. I don't want to like, finish this this year and just like go be a schlub somewhere else and so uh after that year i went back to the states got my celta certification uh and then i moved back to beijing again three months later and then i just now began the the life of teaching english for like a decade and just being being kind of a useless drunk that plays music everywhere <laughs> that's not true i mean there is a, a 
a whole, like you said, there's a whole community that was based around Lush. Mm-hmm. And I've known you since you built or maybe stole, who knows, but also <laughs> encouraged that community to move into Gulo, into yeah. your your spot. Um, but I, I did know you pre Four Corners. So yeah. back in the day, we probably met at Lush and that was a great crew, uh, mm-hmm. definitely a lot of fun, very low key. And I remember going from like my office job into a place like Lush or whatever would, would bring you around mm-hmm. in a Friday night and just like being kind of too formal, like office yeah. <laughs> formal, you know, because Beijing's a huge city and to get yeah. from one place to another, unless you're in a one, you know, 830 quite taxi, yeah. uh, it takes a long time. So maybe you don't stop at home and you're wearing what you wore to mm-hmm. the office. Yeah. So I remember you <laughs> oh, coming, yeah. probably from Mudalco, I can't remember, coming from your English teaching job yeah. in the whole like, yeah. like picture perfect <laughs> white shirt black tie oh you yeah know. yeah i was rocking it yeah um and then that would just live on as like your look for the evening yep <laughs> except like more and more like like uh frazzled as the night went on yeah i was actually melting. teaching yeah <laughs> melting and then eventually like uh, a pool of human waste on on the couch just like passed out uh, uh or the, even passed out on the couch at lush which they named after me there was a couch that i <laughs> All right, but but paint me a picture because you kind of did that year as a student, and then you ended up as a teacher. Yeah. So, what was your daily transition, or let's say weekend transition, where you're waking up in the morning, getting fresh, and then ending up on some couch named after you, (laughs) needing. Well, I mean, usually it would be like Friday, like no, uh, Saturday morning, wake up hungover, realize that I have to work at nine or 10 in the morning at Wall Street English. So crawl out of my apartment uh, after getting dressed, taking a shower, or maybe even not doing that because I don't have time, get to work late uh, and then like teach my classes, you know, uh, for eight hours, then leave class, uh, maybe go home or go meet up with some friends and then immediately like, you know, like prepare for the Saturday night, like party basically. And at the time, you know, like when my body could handle it, I could go like drinking like very heavily for like, like a week straight, you know, there would be like a like no, no, no days off, basically. So uh, thankfully, not doing that anymore. I don't think I'd handle that anymore. <laughs> it would often be like, go out, do a gig, wake up, like, especially after Four Corners opened, I was still teaching English for a long period of time, you know, like when you're an entrepreneur, you still want to have like some cash flow incoming. So it'd be like work at four corners, close the bar at 3 a.m., you know, sometimes and then wake up in the morning, uh, like cross town, go to Wudalco, teach a class, uh, uh, teach eight hours of classes, like finish, drive, like uh, get in another cab, go all the way back to Four Corners, do another event, then go back and then like, yeah, do another and then go back to work again the next day. So it's like full on nonstop for a long time, just like juggling these two lives. And then like- uh, Because because that that was a some kind of transition, which I would like to hear more about. Um, I was there pretty early when the 
physical ideation was happening, but yeah. I didn't know what was going on in your brain before that. I knew you from Lush, playing music, good time, but not a lot of responsibility. Maybe yeah. you show up and you inter entertain people, important, mm -hmm. but you're not a proprietor. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. the place will not fall apart if you don't show up mm -hmm. or if you don't make the financial backing to continue, you know, keep the doors open. So there was a point where you were at Lush. How was that transition when you were leaving, you know, this, this, you are as a support system to Lush and starting your own place? Like, where did the idea come from? Uh, I think, well, actually, the idea came from my dad, actually. And it wasn't wow. what he envisioned because... <laughs> I'm like, I've been called like the prodigal son by some people who like enjoy their idioms and their, their uh, parables. But uh, like, uh, so my dad always wanted to have his own business and he actually has an LLC he opened up. It's called Lindum Inc. Uh, I'm not sure what he does with it, but you know, it's there. Uh, and he often talks about like how he wanted to open up a business and like his, his brothers and sisters are also business people. You know, his sister is like, does real estate and owned like a little like bubble tea shop in LA. Uh, his brother owned like a gas station, maybe a few of them in Chicago. Uh, and he went the corporate route and he went the academic and then corporate route. And like that paid dividends, like a lot, you know, like he did what he needed to do uh, to support our family. Uh, but, you know, he always wanted to have his own business. And I think that's why he's always told me, like, start your own business, go into business for yourself. You know, like you can reap the benefits of your own work, you know, instead of working for somebody else. Uh, he really kind of instilled that idea in me that like, you know, like, why work for the man, you could be the man. But like, when you're like, what he didn't say was like, when you're the man, everybody is your boss, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can go from having one boss and just kind of annoying them with your incompetence sometimes to like, <laughs> to like, everybody is your boss. And sometimes they don't and have critic. To yeah, and critic, and everybody thinks they know how to do your job better than you do, you know. Uh, so, but that really was it, was like the idea that I should take take the money, take money from them. Actually, my parents gave me and my sisters each like a little bit of capital to do something okay. with. My sisters at, at all in the same year, and my sisters hmm. like put it in on uh, down payments for houses and like responsible things like that. But they looked at me, I think they were just like thinking like, Tavy's like living here, he doesn't really think about much, but like, you know, he's like, I guess they saw me as like the person who like takes chances or needs to do something different. And like, they encouraged me to like invest it in a business of some kind. And I was like, all right, business, business. What do I do all the time? <laughs> oh, I drink. I drink. I go to bars. I talk to people. I hang out. I entertain people. You know, like I try to show people a good time. Like I try to gather people together to do stuff. You know, like I've always been, I've been doing that like in unofficial capacities in Beijing and in the rest of my life, like for a long time. I remember like, uh, like SantaCon is like a whole other story. Like when we used to do those and like, I was like doing that myself for like two years, just like sending out email lists to people that I knew. Uh, but uh, yeah, like that's just something that I enjoyed doing or I compulsively and, do. I and so what did you have a business plan? Did you have to like give anything, you know, in return for the startup capital? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I just had the money <laughs> all of a sudden. I was like, and what? so he, did he know? Were you like, 
Dad, Dad I'm going to start a bar, restaurant, bar. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, trust. I'm a little bit insane, you know? So like one day I was just like, well, I've been talking to June about it for a while. And we were talking about it. We looked at a few different places. Some options were like just money cow kind of bit, like food businesses you know he was like hey here's an old ramen place that's in cbd right. uh we could turn this into a faux noodle shop uh here's another place like they say that uh this space between gulo and sanli twin is going to blow up at some point let's go find a space there you know and it did blow up but like much later than would have like made it profitable i think so i'm glad we didn't open up there but also you know all of that was you know you couldn't really win anywhere i guess but uh we ended up in gulo it was like there's this place called the orange tree bistro that like the guy's trying to get rid of he's the owner of fish nation but he's like doesn't really like this spot for whatever reason we went in there they weren't even using the back room it was just a front room they had a full kitchen which was awesome they had a fully stocked bar everything would come with the deal so you know just like pondered it for a little while and i remember it was spring festival time right before spring festival time to december 11th 2011 i believe and uh the bank called me and they're oh no, the bank warned me like when I was trying to do the transfer, they were like, you know, there's a lot of scammers around this time because it's spring festival. People are like trying to trick people into giving them money and stuff, you know? And I was like, well, I have a contract with this guy. I don't know. And like I walked out of the bank right before like pushing the button. I was like, am I doing what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yikes. And I like called June and I was like, dude, is this for real? Like, am I really doing this? Are we really doing this? Like, is this even a real deal? And he's like, dude, I can't, I can't make you do this. You know, like, I just like the opportunities here, the decisions yours, you know? And I was like, Fuck. so like I went in there and I finished the deal. You know, I, I, I made the, I made the transfers, you know, and then, uh, and then that was it. That was it. And we you didn't get scammed. It wasn't a scam. We had the place. Of course, the deal was pretty bad. Like we overpaid for the business as it was. So we're pretty deeply in the hole immediately. So like there were a lot of struggles. There was a lot of struggles. It was, it was tough. Uh, so um, who's June? Oh, who is June? You, you don't know about the world famous <laughs> June Trent? Let me tell you about this guy. Oh, he's man. on TV. He's a famous TV chef in China. He's got millions and millions of fans. He's huge. Like uh, he was on a Pizza Hut commercial at one point. He designed what? a pizza for, the... yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> they paid him a ton of money to appear in a commercial for like a second. It was great. It's like him like pointing up at the camera as like pizza ingredients fall or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh my God, I have to find yeah, that. Yeah, uh, it's, um, it's out there somewhere. Uh, but at so that fun. point, June was your friend from yeah. Lush? Is he like- Yeah, we made like, we were part of the crew at Lush Bar and there's like a whole bunch of people like that would hang out and we'd party together all the time. It was like kind of like the crew, you know? Um, and June was the guy who was like, yeah, I want to do this, this uh, idea with you. Actually, I talked to Josh Lolly, who is like the manager at Lush, uh, about opening a, a bar business. And he was like, yeah, June's been talking about starting up something. He's a chef, you know, and like he had opened up a couple places in like Silent and Backstreet at that time, like Fofo was his. And like there was another place that he did for Lugas. I believe. So he had some restaurant touring and bar opening experience, not just like in China, but like elsewhere. So like he's like worked in F&B before. I was not an F&B guy. You know, I would just I was on the other side of F&B. <laughs> like I didn't right. know it was like uh, behind the front line. I like F. I like B. Yeah, I like I like those things. I can do this, you know. <laughs>
I can't remember when construction was happening, but I feel like the first six months there was always something worked on. Yep. Um, I definitely like held a sledgehammer to a. <laughs> yeah, we had those uh, construction destruction parties, sledgehammer Fun. parties, bar breaking parties. We called them. Yeah, yeah. I think we had like four of them. Uh, after after Breaking Bad came out, you know, I I called them Breaking Bar, uh, and we'd invite people over. There was hard hats to be put on and safety right. goggles and sledgehammers. I remember specifically, it was like maybe it was the first or maybe the second one. Uh, and then uh, Chris Durbin showed up, and like Chris is like like super athletic, so like he grabs this like sledgehammer and he thwacks the bar with all of his might, and like bricks go flying out of the other side of this like really like like two foot or three foot thick like brick bar, and then slam into the back wall so hard that it cracks. <laughs> I was like, whoa like people are getting into this this is awesome yeah uh but yeah we and it's crazy because now you can go to a bar and like it's based on breaking shit yeah have you seen that yeah i've seen that you know they're all like they have vases and they'll build up brick walls and you just like get drunk and have fun smashing things yeah you know but this was purposeful you were yeah. you were construct destructing to construct yeah yeah we wanted to move move things around a little bit so yeah we like we we renovated and changed the layout of that front room like like several times and then oh, the back times. room the back room we built up and we made a second bar back there during like our busiest time period and we had like like uh this fella tom uh kind of running a second like mixology bar back there like he had like the vest and the the armband and he would like people would come in he'd make eye contact and be like hey how you doing he's already he's wiping a glass he's never not wiping a glass you know it's like a performance he's like an extra in a movie he's like wiping this glass <laughs> yeah I, I remember the destruction parties chinese new year was super fun and i i feel like this involvement created this huge following like I did see how both you guys like struggled to make it work. Yeah. And, and it was a neighborhood spot, right? Because yeah. Gulo is an area where there's a lot of expats. You yeah. could walk, we could walk there. Walking, biking um, distance, everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We tried to offer up like, well, I always imagined like, cause I really liked the idea of just like the neighboring neighborhood watering hole where everybody just kind of meets up there and you just walk in and you know, you're going to see somebody, you know, you know, exactly. Like, I'm just going to go check out this spot. And, uh, you know, uh, Gulo had a few places like that, I think, but like Gulo is by and large, like, a like an events type of area where there's like a DJ here, a band there. But I kind of liked the idea that it could be at some point, just a place where people wander in and just kind of hang out. And yeah, we tried to cultivate that vibe a little bit, but also like as, as more and more bars developed in gulo like the scene blew up and suddenly like you know any random alley you walk down would have like a table outside with people drinking beer and then you walk by and you get a little closer you're like oh hey i know you and you like you start talking with people like the whole place just seemed like just like one giant like i don't, I don't know what word i'm looking for like food court beer garden i don't know something like that <laughs> uh, and like i mean yeah. i will say at that time i think like the expats living in gulo spoke Chinese, they ate Chinese food. They were kind of um, kind of on both sides to experience like being an expat in a big international city and also like living in China. So yeah. I think having, um, you know, paying homage to 
like the fact that you are a bar in China, mm-hmm. right? Instead of trying to be like the American, like Texas yeah. barbecue <laughs> spot yeah. or the like solely um, Vietnamese place. Yeah. You could, you guys did a ton of fusion. You did a ton of like very unique events Yeah. Um, that I felt like were super inclusive. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the, the Gulo thing, which is like kind of a, a mishmash of like foreign, uh, like foreign influenced offerings from various business owners that kind of ca- try to carve out their own thing. But also they were trying to appeal to an international crowd, but also the Chinese crowd and the Chineseness of all of it. And like taking little memes from like the things we know about expat life. I'm on like the, the t-shirt company that has like the Baijiu bottle on it that says different things or right, like, right, the, right. or they had like the, the taxi cab, like kind of circle that had the price on it back then, like, like 1.20 or right. something like that. You know, all the per things kilometer. that, uh, yeah. All the things that like uh, old time expats like kind of remember and kind of love about living in Beijing. Yeah. So how much thought went behind your community your audience were you guys like all right it's gonna be a place for friends were you targeting certain we did not think about anything we are not very organized you know we were just being like like i'm just this guy you know like i'm this is not like engineered to like do anything (laughs) and i think june is the same way like he just wanted to express himself you know like so he's like i'm just gonna make the the dishes that i like i'm like that i know i can do and like put a little spin on things, you know, like when he made the corner burger or like the, or like when we made up that, uh, that cocktail called the four corners that has Baijiu in it, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like we are just trying to like, like take ourselves to the next level by like, you know, filling, filling the space with who we were and hoping that people liked it. And like, you know, to some degree people did, you know, I think, I think people came for that stuff, like the band, the food, the bar, the vibes, the off the wall events, like uh, Yin Mei's dance circus with the face painting and stuff like that, you know, uh, Shepherd's Pie Contest, you know, like uh, what else have we done? All the comedy shows that we used to put on in the back, uh, the open mic nights that we were doing. Like before I left, we started trying to do a thing called Drawn to Music. Like my friend Shui, who's the artist for Tiny Robot Love Doctors, actually, did, she did the illustration for that. Uh, she was, she like, they have this like burgeoning art community where people show up and like sketch things and draw yep. things. And, you know, and then so I try to combine that with an open mic. So instead of having models on stage, you have performers playing music, like uh, telling stories. One guy just like played a drum. Like, you know, it's like a minute of drum. So he just like hit it in different patterns and be like, all right, here's the next one and I do another drum piece, you know, which is like a different rhythm and patterns, like a different vibe on it. And like, people are just like, they're sketching like the artists as they're doing their craft and you get these beautiful like visuals and like these two different communities of creatives are interacting with each other uh, at the same time, like live. At a certain point, we have to get you talking about the specific events and I know there are so many stories and they should live, Tavi, yeah. <laughs> for your progeny, because the idea is like something is being created and it really only ex- could exist in that moment, like in that place. Yeah. And that's what I love. I love that it was this like nexus of creativity and um, yeah. drama. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and just like, there's so much life that was lived, you know, like if these walls could talk, if yeah. these four corner walls yeah. could talk. A lot of stuff happened there, you know. Absolutely. Like, 
Like I could tell the story of the, I guess there's the time we almost burned down the entire neighborhood during Chinese New Year, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, like it was Chinese New Year. Yeah, and then uh, we would always do a fireworks show. Like we would throw down money on fireworks. This is when uh, fireworks were legal inside the city of Beijing because like, you know, like they hadn't started to ban them yet because incidents like this uh weren't happening like, because of like, us yeah <laughs> well there were like real things burned down like the the building next to the cctv like pants tower like that like was entirely in flames at one point do you remember that? that like so the pants building uh is on like a giant concrete block with another building and that building was still under construction on on this particular chinese new year uh when uh, all the insulation was exposed they were still building it <gasps> and so something happened and then the entire unfinished side of that building just went up in flames and you could feel it from the highway they said you could like be walking like it's super far it's a it's a skyscraper yeah 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 you know so that might be one reason why they banned fireworks but also <laughs> we almost burned down the hutongs yeah <laughs> so, like we we called up jing a and they came and they were they brought their keg egg like little wagon mobile and richard ammerman was there and like i'm not gonna point fingers i think it was because like my theory at the time and like you know you can dispute this was that they tied um one of those firework strings to the back of the keg egg and he was doing donuts in the parking lot behind four corners <laughs> and uh there is a uh there were like tents in the back like like the, made of those that big thick mater green material that like uh the winter jackets are made out of right ah uh, uh and there were tents in the back. Fortunately, nobody was in them, but like it just started, like there was just like a flame all of a sudden. And, you know, it could have been them. It could have been us shooting Roman candles in every direction, who knows? But like <laughs> right next to that tent, which is in a little alcove was a bundle of wood on top of a wall. And then there's like all the Hutong buildings there. So like, uh, like June freaks out because he's the guy that actually does stuff. So he like runs over. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, this is danger! Why is nobody else doing anything?" He starts dragging this tent, this giant tent, out of that alcove to get it away from the wood sticks and the rooftops. And then like everybody else like comes in, they we drag it into the middle of the parking lot. It's an empty parking lot behind four corners. And then we run in and we're trying to like put it out. We got fire extinguishers. By this time, there's no stopping this thing. It's a huge. Oh, huge fire like this is a tent like built like for like the workers to sleep in like you could probably have like you know like uh eight people sleeping in there comfortably like and sleeping bags like laid out side by side it's it's like really long like 20 foot long tent you know and the whole thing just goes up in flames the wind starts kicking up you know like there's smoke blowing everywhere and we're just like this is this is uh this is bad all right this well, is the end this is the end so we're just watching it burn up and then we're like, okay, uh, what do we do now? Well, there's still this huge party going on in Four Corners. Like <laughs> the music's playing, people are like getting wasted and drunk in the back room. You're like, uh, let's just go in. Like the fire is starting to die down, you know? Like uh, we think that uh, it's mostly done. And so we kind of watched it until it was like pretty safe. And like there weren't sparks like flying into the roof or anything like that. And like, all right, uh, let's get out of here. So we went inside and we just locked the door to the back room. <laughs> And then, uh, and then the police start like, like, 
eventually like there's a hammering on the back and then the police are like yelling he's like what's going on back here what are you doing and like we don't let them in basically we're just like refused they're like trying to kick in the door and like we're just like turning up the music like oh we can't hear anything <laughs> and then uh eventually like they came in like you know like we had to let them in and then they yelled at us they're like what happened they're like i don't know what happened i don't know <laughs> you know we're just completely like acting oblivious uh we were in a lot of trouble but there were no further reaching consequences uh to that entire debacle, I think. Yeah. Well, June, it's, maybe maybe you could interview June because, like, you know, yeah. he might he might have had to deal with more. Like, he he had more conversations with the neighbors than I did. Yeah. Well, I'm. It's for me. It's amazing how long you guys survived because I wasn't living in Beijing for the duration of Four Corners, but mm -hmm. coming in from Shanghai and visiting, things would change all the time. Mm -hmm. right things would close new things would open yeah people were you know in hiatus or somebody got screwed over by their business partner or yeah, something like that this a lot and then of course you had the police right like yeah. the changing <laughs> dynamic between like mm -hmm. these are the rules and you need to follow the, those rules then there were all these shadow rules yeah. that would change and evolve mm -hmm. and you guys survived many 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 police yeah. visits <laughs> all of that stuff a lot of it was because june was a celebrity honestly honestly like they they recognized him sometimes like people would recognize yeah. him and he'd be like hey yeah cool yeah you know like just yeah <laughs> like we like they let us, i think we got to slide on a lot of things because like you know his his like celebrity charisma uh but also uh like the relationship with the neighbors went super yep. bad and they would always complain about the noise and like i would have the band play and i'd be like we're probably going to have the cops called on us tonight. There's nothing I can do about it, but we're just going to go ahead and do it anyways. And then the <laughs> cops would get called and be like, oh, sorry, sorry, we'll turn it down. And then we'd be quiet for a little while. And then the band would play the next set and the cops would get back and come back again. And be like, oh, sorry, 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 you know. But to be honest, the band was really loud. And <laughs> and like, and, we're, and, we're and in and a residential not, neighborhood, you know, I, we were the bad the guys. We weren't right. the good it, guys here. You know, right. kids it need to go to school. Zoned, yeah. Right. In a way that you guys were really allowed to do what the big clubs can do. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, these Bar Street, right? Bar Street is a street because nobody wants to live on Bar Street. Right. Yeah. That's the idea. Yep. Um, yep. So were there one or two times when you thought like this is the end you know when uh, we have to close down well there was the the great brickening happened uh which is when uh like so the president of china uh, apparently this is what they say his mom grew up in the hutongs and she kind of lamented what was happening to them as like you know like there's like the drinking and the street culture and the bars and like the the kind of weird businesses that are opening up everywhere people kind of repurposing this kind of uh traditional neighborhood vibe that used to exist there uh and you now it, it's true you know just <laughs> it's true. like we tried to that was why we were there though you know like we liked the the street life uh, aspect of it but maybe we we took it in a direction that was not appreciated by the elderly <laughs> chinese inhabitants there by like mom. yeah imagine <laughs> if there was like an entire neighborhood that was supposed to be a nursing home and then some like hipsters from another country show up and start throwing parties there <laughs> that's basically what happened uh so we weren't exactly the good guys i'll admit it uh but 
but they they like the answer to that was that this dictate came down from on high that all all of the original blueprints for the neighborhoods like all the buildings that were built uh needed to adhere to the like original blueprints of the 70s or whatever so if there was a door somewhere where there didn't used to be a door when they drew up the blueprints and plans for this place that would get bricked up if there was now a wall where somewhere where there used to be a window they'd have to punch a hole in it or something like that like they had to adhere to the original uh design of the neighborhood and original layout uh the purpose of this was mostly to close up the doorways of businesses that were open to the streets so that they could they would have to close and this closed a lot of like uh bars a lot of people's houses actually like i remember uh at the time i was working at a vip kid i started another job there uh making videos and stuff like that uh and like one of my coworkers like got to call in because she got bricked into her house overnight like she went went home you know and other people said like they stayed out late and they tried to go home and they couldn't go home because their doors were bricked up you know? so, wow. yeah wow i know, haven't heard those stories how quickly it was done yeah uh, mm. we luckily managed to dodge all of that stuff but like a lot of bars like had to like like drive their business in through like be like okay now i have to go in through the door on the side and uh, walk past the neighbors' houses and walk down this other thing and then come in through the side door, walk through our kitchen, you know, <laughs> and then walk through like, you know, the bathroom and then come in and then you're in the in the bar area. There you go. <laughs> you know, that's that's the new layout now. Yeah. You make it hard for no reason. Can't just stick around this time and finish up what you begun. Why'd you make it hard? It should be So I I met my wife in late 2019 playing Dungeons and Dragons at Four Corners, cool. uh, and we really hit it off. And I just like something about her vibe, you know, just like what? Who is this girl? Like I I, I knew there was something. Who is something. this one girl playing yeah. Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. And she came, sat at my table, and like we, we hit it off, and like you know, slowly over time, we got like more comfortable with each other. And uh, I'd say it was in 2020. Uh, and that was like already a weird year for me because uh, yeah like on a personal level i was just kind of drifting i didn't know what i was doing i'd already quit my job you know like the bar was just being the bar it wasn't really growing you know it wasn't really like something it was i felt like it was stagnating as well like the culture we had built there was like moving on because gulo was suffering at the time uh and uh what else the band also like uh we had gone through a lot of changes you know because people are always leaving and i felt like it, it was tough like everything was kind of like struggling at that moment you know but uh yeah the the pandemic started and then my, i was talking to my parents and i was like maybe i should get out of china because like it seems like something weird's gonna happen here you know like who knows what's happening and they're like yeah yeah you should get out of china and then i called them again i was like you know what I'm going to stay in China, just where, like, weather this thing out. How bad could it be? You know, I'll just stay here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you should stay. Yeah, yeah stay in China. Like, you know, that's probably a good idea. And then uh, I was talking to uh, Hana, uh, my wife, and uh, she was like, yeah, you could just come out to Michigan. Just come visit and like stay for a couple weeks, you know, while this pandemic blows over, you know, and uh, you could come stay here. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do it. And then I bought a ticket. I bought, I 
I, I bought the last ticket, it turns out, out of, of United Airlines out of Beijing. That was the last flight that ever flew out of Beijing on United Airlines. Wow. Yeah. Have you been back? Uh, no, no, I haven't gone back to China. Uh, basically, I've been here since since 2020, since I left. I took that flight. It was a one-way ticket because I was like, I'll just buy another one-way ticket back to China. It's fine. You know? <laughs> also, coincidentally, my visa was running out. So, you know, it was like, how do I get back to China? You know, how do we all like do this? So I'm like looking around, like I went to the embassy or like I tried to get a, a get my my visa renewed they just sent my passport back and there's like oh yeah come come hand we'll look, come pick it up at some point in the future but we're not processing these right now or something like that basically just like a iou one visa kind of right. situation right uh and then i was just stuck waiting for a time when it would get easier uh to get back and we were still kind of hoping to get back you know continually uh but like like eventually i had to do something so i basically told my parents, like, I'm moving to Austin right now. <laughs> so like, I bought a car from uh, Wilson, uh, who used to own Razor Pies, and then then moved in with my friend Dub, uh, his Airbnb, like him and his wife have an Airbnb attached to the back of their house. And then Hannah was there because she came down, she hitched a ride with a friend who was moving to Austin on that day, just happened to be. So like this kind of weird kismet happened where we were able to like convene and meet up together in this like Airbnb. And we ended up living there for six months while we were kind of like, yeah, one bedroom, Airbnb, you know, like we had been kind of dating in Beijing and like, but like we were really into each other. And then I just like kind of on a whim flew across the world during the pandemic, then suddenly got trapped here, you know, and then like suddenly next thing you know, we're living together uh, in, wow. one, in one bedroom, like uh, Airbnb. And uh, yeah, like that was and it's of, a pandemic. Yeah. So we're not really going out doing stuff, you know, we're not socializing. So right. it was like the pressure cooker of our relationship. And then at the end of that, one day she's just like, I think I'm pregnant. You know, just like, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, no, get out of town. No, you know, it's like, pretty sure I'm pregnant. I had these weird dreams, like I'm pregnant, you know, and like, she like started talking, like she just like, I was like, no, come on, get out of here. And then she was like, I'm not drinking because I'm pregnant now. It's like, what, what are you talking about? You're not pregnant. She like immediately knew and then quit drinking, you know, and then like, you know, and, and that's when shit gets real. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're dealing with this soberly. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, like we had to make some choices, you know, like she, she called up her parents and we're like, I'm pregnant. And then they're like, they were super supportive from the beginning. And then, uh, we drove down to Houston and, you know, maybe I, 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 I'm bad at communicating with people, but I was like, we should tell my parents in person, you know, I don't want to call them first. <laughs> like, come on, Tavy, what are you thinking? Like I show up and I'm like, so I have to tell you guys something. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> instantly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe a little softening of the blow would have helped, but you know, we, we often muse about the story and we've told it so many times that I feel like yeah. it's second nature. Like that is, it is the story, you know, uh, like what happened, how our family started is going to be like the story that we tell our kids, you know. Uh, it's funny, can if, if I may, because your parents maybe made a very conscious decision to move to the States. Yeah. Or maybe very much wanted to be there and like made a lot of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And both of you kind of got stuck 
<laughs> let's say, or at least that's how we think of it in the in the beginning. Like, oh, yeah. well, we can't get back to China where where we really want to be and have our lives. Even though you're both American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. So uh, you are both going through this whole repatriation. Yeah. You had left your lives back in in Beijing. Not to mention your business or your work and your stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, because we talk a lot about expats, we talk a lot about. Immigration,、mm -hmm. but I think the whole discourse on what it means to be back,、mm -hmm. you know, the repat and like how you interact with your compatriots has changed enormously. And I think honestly, maybe having a family and being in more of a family way, I, there's pros and cons, right? You're not going out and drinking, so it's kind of harder to meet people. But you're also like much more dedicated, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, like so, so what you're saying about like、uh, expat and repat, like I have kind of like a generational view on like my life now. Like I think back to like my grandfather left the country that he was in and went to what you know is another country or arguably another country,、uh, depending on how you view it.、Uh, Under like very difficult circumstances, right? And then my father, I、like, grew up in Taiwan, and then made the decision to move to America to like pursue like his academic career and his studies,、uh, and then started a family here. And then, but in、uh, in Fujian, this is what I'm told. It's it used to be a rite of passage because Fujian is like kind of. Like pirate central for China, right? It's like,、yeah. like that's what that's where they are, you know. That's like all the the, the gangs and stuff, all the black, like the, you know, all that stuff. And so it used to be a rite of passage for a young man to like leave the country, just get go sailing, you know, like go out into the world and then come back. And so for me, like, like seeing like this generational thing, like, like there's always a big move. You know, my grandfather was a big move. For my dad, there was a big move, several. You know, like he, and then he ended up going back to China, like lived there for ten、mm -hmm. years. You know,、uh, and then for me, also, you know, like I went to China, you know, like kind of to discover myself in a way,、uh, and then now, fifteen years later, you know, I've returned、uh, with a new understanding of who I am, a new sense of purpose,、uh, with a family. You know, and like you know, like maybe that's what it is. You go out, and then you like find out what you're doing. What is life all about? Or just get some things out of your system. Who knows?、Uh, and then you come back, and then you're like, okay, I'm an adult man now. <laughs> okay, like I'm ready for this. And maybe that's not entirely true. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I need to start <laughs> acting like it. That is the best ending. That is so profound. But also,、um, I really want to talk about your game. Ah, yes. So, when did the process for the board game Tiny Robot Love Doctors come <laughs> to fruition?、Uh, this game actually started、uh, in, during the pandemic when we were living in that one-bedroom apartment.、Uh, I was talking to Marco, like a former drummer of Solid Gold Dream Machine. Uh, old longtime friend,、uh, and he was working with a manufacturer in China or a company that deals with them a lot. And he was like, "Oh man, like people are making bank with these board games. You know, it's just like cardboard. Like you know, you make make some money off of printing cardboard. It's so easy." And I'm like, "Can you make a board game? Like, can we can sell it?" And I'm like, "Can I make a board game?" So, and I'd already been working on a board game because it coincidentally, and the board game was called Space Bears or something like that.、Uh, so we have like different factions. 
descendants of spacefaring civilizations uh, that are bears. Uh, <laughs> like one one race of one species of bears is like plush bears, right? And then another species is actual bears. Yeah. And then another species is like uh, like not bears. So like koalas and pandas and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> And like I like the basis of the gameplay was like you choose one of them and then you're competing with other people to mine this asteroid, and so like mm. it's a resource gathering game with like okay like uh, tiles in the middle that are the resources and you're playing cards and deploying different types of probes and launching satellites and stuff to like scan the asteroid in different areas and get resources and shoot down your opponent's probes and drills and stuff, uh, and so I. I played an original version of this game with Hana, like a first edition, trying to work out the mechanics. And she, first off, she beat me at the game <laughs> because I, <laughs> apparently I'm awful at my own game. And then second off, uh, then she was like, even though she won, she was like, I don't like it because it's competitive. Why do games always have to be competitive? Why does everybody have to be like trying to like destroy each other's stuff? You know, like there's plenty of resources. Like, <laughs> why can't we yeah. both just mine the asteroid? And it's like, all right, I'm going to revisit this concept. So like I took a, a day to like rethink it. And I was like, what if instead of an asteroid, it's like a heart? And what if instead of resources, it's feelings? And what if instead of like bears in space, we are like digital robot creatures and then so i created tiny robot love doctors at that moment thanks to her and then suddenly it goes from like kind of a fun cutesy game with an aesthetic like you know interesting aesthetic to like a game like that's kind of about mental health and about like people's struggles and also the idea that like you can kind of look and like deprogram these negative like uh scripts that are inside of your own uh, psyche and like get them out of there like you know they're not entirely external you know but like the truth is that like you can do some work on yourself or other people can do work on you or you can work do some work on other people to help them remove these things like the the feelings are rage uh gloom greed and fear and then you're trying to remove those things and there's also love tiles in the mix and those keep going back into the bag and being brought back out. And then eventually, once you remove all the other feelings, the only tiles that are left to fill the board with are the love tiles. And so at the end of the game, the heart is full of love and you win. It's awesome. Yeah. So you kind of end up with this kind of feel good moment at the end, you know, and, you know, hardcore strategy nerds aren't going to like it as much, but I hope they do find something valuable out of it. Uh, but that's, that's the crux of the game. And so in terms of like when the game business really took off, I think another friend of mine, Sven, uh, he called me up out of the blue and he was like, hey, do you want to pitch a game or something to a game manufacturer? And I was like, another game? Sure. Yeah. Random. Yeah. And so I made up a game that was based on storytelling called Raconteur and it was playable. People had fun. And I was like, oh man. So like I spent a lot of time on it. I, was, I found myself working on it for like hours and like a full day, just like making cards and like, like designing things. And then, uh, you know, Hanna was like, yeah, you should, you, maybe you could just do this, you know, this could be your job. You could start a business, make board games. And I was like, ah, nah. And then uh, it was holiday season between 2021 and 2022, right? Uh, and I was traveling in Houston, visiting family and stuff. Uh, and I was like, I really need to start getting back to work. You know, things are starting to open up again. People can go back to their jobs and things. And I was like, man, I'm just like being a bum. I'm going to be a dad. I don't have a job. So I started applying for jobs online and 
One of them was to do pub quizzes, just like for extra cash. It's something that's familiar to me. And the other one, like not to disparage this job at all, but like I'm more making fun of myself, was uh, a tire mechanic. So I was, <laughs> so I was like, like there was like entry level technician at like a, a tire shop. And I was like, they'll teach you everything you need to know. I was like, okay, cool. And I went in there uh, for the interview and the guy was like, have you ever done anything with cars? And he just like took one look at me and I was like, not really, you know, like, uh, but I'd like to learn, you know, it's like, I think it's a really useful skill, you know, like, it's like, but you know, you really gotta like, know something. And I was like, no, you said you were going to teach everything you need to know. I was like, yeah, but like, at least like in the backyard, like wrenching on the car, you know, doing something. I was like, well, I watched some YouTube videos before I came out here. He was like, look, if your experience with a car is filling it with gas and turning the key, like this, we can't hire you for this. I'm sorry, man. And I was like, all right, that's fine. You know, and I went, and then that night, like, I was like, all right, what am I doing? You know, like, that's not even who I am. Like all my life, I've been trying to chase down like who I am and like turn that into a real person in the world. And so I was like, this game's thing, this is, this is what I got to do. Uh, and then, so working on the Kickstarter now, and like, it's been this whole process, you know, like learning, like how to use design tools, learning how to make videos to make content for promotion, uh, connecting with people in the games industry, and yeah, I mean, just. It's but you're, the, about... the point is, you're not rotating tires. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not rotating you tires. You, you didn't know? roll over and tie. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Say, you know, this is my, this is the new Tavy. Yeah, you know, to his credit, the guy at the tire shop was like, you know, like probably just like, well, this guy's going to be useless here. But also, this isn't like who like he probably knew this isn't what I was really there for. Yeah. You know, like I was going through something and that's I just needed somebody to to send me rolling out of the front door of his shop, like, like so much proverbial vulcanized rubber uh, back on my way to pursue my real destiny. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I did that. And I, I really like telling that story because it reminds me like, of like, like, you know, you lose perspective, you know, and I think perspective is the, the thing that we really need to develop in life that can never stop growing. You know, like it's like the fractal zoom, you know, like where you're always like, it seems like you're zooming in, but it also seems like something's zooming towards you. And it's mm -hmm. like always random and there's never repeats itself. It just keeps coming at you. And I think that's like, that's human existence. It's like every second, a new dimension is unfolding in front of us. And we just gotta like stay present in order to observe it. And sometimes we look away because we can't handle it, you know? And so we have to keep looking at stuff from an outside perspective. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's, that's getting older. Follow Eight Ways Games on their socials. Help tiny robot love doctors get going on Kickstarter and wherever you are, whatever you are. If you don't have a couch named after you, you haven't lived. <laughs>